As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. I'm Ian Stone. Welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Joined this week by Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Hello. 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 We saw each other in the flesh last week. Wasn't it nice, by the way, just to see each other actually? I mean, Adrian, have we ever actually met in person before that? Before <laughs> uh, When was it? Tuesday night? I'm not sure we have. I've seen you in a gig before. I oh, have, yeah, I yeah. Have, there's yeah, that. At the, co- at the comedy store back right, in the day. Right, Um But no, it was very nice. We stopped short of, uh, of sort of having a full-on hug, didn't we? But it was... It was nice to, uh, yeah, nice to see you in real life. Did we, I, as I, well, Amy, too. I, I believe we hugged, Amy, actually. Uh, I think I, I did quite a lot of hugging that night. Yeah, I felt that, yeah. I felt like I had a need to restock on the hug feeling. <laughs> you know. You're right. I've, I, You're I, right. I, in fact, do you know what? <laughs> I was at a children's um, football birthday party at a power league yesterday. Was it yesterday? They were, anyway, over the weekend. And this guy came up to me and went, hi, how are you? And gave me a great big hug. And I thought, I don't know you. And actually, we did know each other from like yonks and yonks before, but I had no recollection. And I sort of thought, hey, you know, a free hug. What's what's the damage? <laughs> well, I guess you'll you'll find that out in the next week I'm, or so. I was going to say, unless you're going on holiday shortly, which is the case for me. So that's why I was I was on a no hug no hugging uh, mission. On, that's on true. Actually, you're going somewhere nice, and you were looking at me like, "Don't come near me." All right, actually, do not. It's very nice to meet you, but do not get any closer than two meters. Um, was it your first time seeing the film, Adrian? I mean, we did talk about it last week. Did you? Um, I mean, it was a nice evening, wasn't it, Tuesday? Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, it was great to see not just your friendly faces, but lots of others and, and, and to get chatting. And yeah, I, I loved it. I really did. And I, and I enjoyed the film, I've got to say. Um, it, I just think it was great to be transported back to that that sort of era, that that time uh, where Arsenal was so successful. And, and and I thought it was really nicely put together. It, it was quite funny at times, poignant. Lots of honesty in there. It was a bit sad towards the end. This, I should say, for <laughs> listeners who don't know what we're talking about, this is the Arsene Wenger Invincible film, the new film that, is, that was out, I think, a couple of days ago. We mm. saw the, uh, uh, we were at the premiere with uh, some uh, some Guna royalty, wasn't there? Righty oh. was there, Dave oh, Seaman, yourself, yeah. Adrian. Well, it was not, it was really nice. Yeah, yeah, Righty came up, he introduced my son to Righty, and he was so nice. He, yeah, he always he always comes up with the right things. Telling him how handsome he was, how he couldn't believe he was my son, etc. <laughs> you know, standard fare. He is um, insulting you at that point, you know yeah, that. Absolutely, just yeah. No, totally. But it's all right because it's righty. But yeah, no. Pat Rice bumped into Pat and he said, "Oh, your dad, your daddy could play. You know, he could play like this." And he didn't have to say that. It was really nice. It's a nice so, thing to say, that actually. <laughs> it's a very nice thing to say, Amy. I mean, you saw it for the second time. Um, I mean, you said you loved it second time. It, it, more really it was nice to wallow for a bit wasn't it definitely and the first time I saw it was just like a a a download on my laptop so obviously it's a different experience to being on the big screen and there was something about um the atmosphere of the night I thought it was 
uh, a really fantastic vibe, uh, like you say, all that Arsenal royalty. And, and as well as the, you know, the older guys, I thought it was really quite fantastic to have Mikel Arteta there and Edu. Um, so, you know, representation from, uh, uh, you know, uh, people who very much bridge the divide between sort of Wenger's Arsenal and, yes. you know, what modern Arsenal is trying to do now. And, yeah, I was sitting not a million miles behind Arsene. And actually, it was difficult sometimes not to be drawn towards sort of watching him, watching him, if you like, on screen. Uh, and there were a couple of moments, one in particular, when I think it was a bad moment. And everybody was sort of le- leaning back in their sort of comfy uh, cinema seats that you get nowadays. And Arsene was like really, really leaning forward, sort of feeling it. It was quite poignant, actually. But uh, yeah, it was. Ju- it felt like those few days were kind of um, just an amazing sort of assault of the Arsenal scene, you know, and hi- hi- kind of linking history with with now, which was great. Again, it maybe feels that much better because people haven't seen each other events for quite a long time. But on the Friday night, there was a, a, a fantastic event at the Barbican where. Uh, a composer called Mark Anthony Turner has written a, a, a symphony, essentially a symphonic poem, to images of 1989. We'll and talk about that in yeah, a little bit. Yeah, but it was George Graham and Lee Dixon and Nigel Winterburn and Alan Smith in attendance. Paul Davis was there. Dave Rocastle's family was there. No, Tony Adams. Uh, well, he, he doesn't live so nearby, so maybe it's not so easy for him to get to all these. No, things. and then. Um, and then on the Monday was the Arsene Wenger, David Dean Fandango at uh, the Palladium. <laughs> Fandango. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a tremendous fun or too hot, depending on who you ask. <laughs> yeah. Maybe both. Maybe both. Too hot yes, fun. Um, that doesn't sound too good. Uh, anyway, it was, um, and that was very well attended by, you know, great to see sort of Colo and Sesk and Lauren and Jens and, uh, you know, a range of, of former players. Patrick really brought the house down just by being there. Um, you know, he walked in and everybody started singing uh, the Vieira song. And actually that was really uh, emotional. He was like patting his chest and you could see what it meant to him to be back in, you know. Hope Mikhail wasn't there for that one. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, we'll, anyway, we'll say, and then the next day, was yeah. the, so it was literally kind yeah. of like non-stop. Arsenal yeah. land. It was like yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah, we've had worse weeks. We've can can worse. I just say, on Arteta and Vinay being there as well at the premiere, I just, I just wondered whether they were... Because I felt it was quite inspirational at times. So it was obviously nice to be sort of taken back to that time. But but a lot of the, the stuff that Arsenal was talking about in the film, you know, the winning mentality, the blend between the English culture, the fight. Unity the t- is what yeah, he the, mentioned and what and what uh, Mikel mentioned to Amy a few times yeah, last exactly, week. Exactly. The unity was, was big. So, yeah, I, I wonder whether they were inspired by it and, you know, what that might mean for, for, for Arsene Wenger potentially. Being brought back into the fray at the club in in some kind of capacity moving forward, I just wonder whether it, it it might have impacted on on them in in that kind of way. But but I think it could only have helped. I would have thought that Mikel would have gone back in with the players and and yeah, it's sort of taken something from from the film. I, I think that we'll find out, won't we, at the weekend <laughs> at Anfield, five thirty on Saturday. By the way, um, uh, yes, we are playing uh, uh, Liverpool away. We want to ask actually a little opening question uh, for you guys. The matches against Liverpool that spring to mind, uh, aside from the obvious, which we'll talk about. Adrian, we'll start with you. I mean, mm. did you play against Liverpool? I was on the bench. Um, I was sort of an unused sub at Anfield when Robbie Fowler scored his second hat trick. Uh, the four minute one or the other one? Not the four minute one, no, no the, the one. one a couple of years later. And uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> I got abused most of the second half, warming up and down <laughs> on the touchline. Uh, but it was, it, yeah, it was good abuse. It was fun. Um, the, 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 the two that stand out for me at Anfield Liverpool 4, Arsenal 4, 2009, you know, obviously the Arshavin. Uh, quadruple, yeah. quite a, just a crazy second half. Um, seven, seven goals. The disbelief on Arshavin's face when when he scored the fourth. I mean, two one down, three two up, four three up, and we still managed not to win the game. Of course but, we did. But it was it was an absolutely beautiful beautiful match to watch. Um, and the other one is is one I took my boy to, um, and, and you met him the other day when he was little. He, well, not, not so little. He was probably about thirteen at the time. Uh, Liverpool five, Arsenal one in two thousand and fourteen. Oh. Oh. We we had such a 
good build up to the game, you know, singing along with the fans and it was a great atmosphere. Arsenal were top of the league, you know, we've got Ozil, Mesut Ozil, all this nonsense and and and, and we were 4-0 down after 20 minutes and and we stood there behind that goal where all the goals were going in just in absolute disbelief because it it was 4 but it could have been eight. It could. It, it could easily have been eight. Liverpool were unreal that day. Kashyoni uh, Masaka had had mares. It's got to be said. Um, but yeah, it was. It, it wasn't just them. It, the whole team did. But it was. It was a. It was a sort of a momentous day. I think for the Liverpool's journey. It was the first time I think that they really ripped a, a big boy apart at that period and, and they almost went, went and won the league on, on the back of a run that was sparked by that win and for Arsenal it kind of was the first of several beatings we've we've taken at, at Anfield since so so I'm hoping we can we can sort of you know dish out our own beating to Liverpool sooner rather than later at, at Anfield that it would feel like a statement with the, the, the moment we can do that It'd be lovely uh, Amy what about you aside from 89 um, I think it's around that period, really. I have a lot of very strong memories of matches against Liverpool. And in Mercy's hindsight... winning goal? Sorry? Mercy's winning yeah, goal? Absolutely. That was on my list. That was a great <laughs> one. And that was right in front of the away fans. He kind of almost ran into us. And um, it was uh, it was very thrilling. And I think just to give it some kind of context and perspective, uh, you know, I don't think we have the same thing going on right now these days in in recent years where there's really one team and one team only that is, you know, the dogs, that is absolutely above and beyond everybody else and you feel miles away and uh, almost every... I mean, it, it it, it was Liverpool for the 70s and 80s broadly and then Man United took over. And then, but if you think about when Arsenal kind of appeared and and had their moments in that time, or Everton did, and uh, and then it kind of moved on to different eras entirely. I never got the feeling. Say, I mean, everybody hated Liverpool that wasn't a Liverpool fan in those days, and then everybody hated United, and that was that all that anyone but United stuff going on because you had one king. It wasn't changeable. It wasn't like now. It could be Liverpool. It could be City. It could be Chelsea. They kind of take turns for supremacy and. You know, there's a bunch of heavyweights in the ring all trying to knock each other out. There was one uh, super heavyweight above everyone, and that was Liverpool. And it had been for years and years and years, and they felt untouchable. And you might get the odd result against them or the odd performance, but it wasn't a lot. There were slim pickings for a long, long time. And then I think uh, in 87, winning the Littlewoods Cup, which was the first trophy under George Graham, and I remember that so fondly because that was my first ever trip to Wembley. I was really lucky because I didn't have a ticket. I didn't really have people to go. I think I was about 15 at the time. And uh, although I used to go to games at Highbury, sort of going away or going to a big find or something like that wasn't really on the cards. And my stepdad with three of his friends, they had four tickets together. And in an act of unbelievable generosity, my stepdad decided, I think he'd had a row with one of them or something, and decided to give his ticket to me. So his three mates had to take me to the final. And um, I remember one of them who was, I don't really know what his full name was, but he was always called Bad Back Albert. And I went along with Bad Back Albert and a couple of other <laughs> blokes who were much older than me. And they thought, why are we taking this 15 year old girl? And I walked me with into a bad Wembley back. and it was that, it was that, you know, obviously going to Wembley just felt enormous, yeah. like a dream. And it was a beautiful sunny day. And you, you know, I do remember it was really hot. that feeling. It was hot of walking in and you come in, like and you can see the sky and the pitch for the first time, and you know it was just stops you dead in your tracks, and the noise. It was a brilliant atmosphere, and uh, Arsenal were massive underdogs, and Ian Rush scored, and everybody knew the story, which is when he scored, Liverpool never lost, and they lost. Uh, yeah, Arsenal came back and won it with two goals um, from Charlie Nicholas. Charlie Nick. Charlie Nick, who was much loved. And it felt incredible to actually be able to beat Liverpool in a final. Uh, and it was, I think, a launch pad of sorts. And then there were others that came after, notably in 1989, before the big one, was a, a Littlewoods Cup game again up at Anfield. It was 1-1. And if you watch that game, Arsenal went up there and gave him a, you know, went toe-to-toe, eyeball-to-eyeball. Eyeball. And it was probably the first time for years they'd done that at Anfield. Rocky scored a wonder goal. And everyone thought, hang on a sec, this team's on to something. And I think Arsenal knew it. I think Liverpool knew it. And without that game, I don't think you have 
the finale. Groves. He's away from Gillespie. Nicholas and Rocastle in the area. Nicholas! Yes! Get a deflection, I think. I love listening to you talking about some games, Amy. When you're talking about that Wembley game, and I was just transported. I was right behind the goal when Charlie Nicholas scored. Oh, what a jammy so, goal mate, as well! It just somewhat fortuitous, in. somewhat fortuitous. And I think Perry Groves was celebrating with him. It was just, uh, it was a lovely, lovely day, and uh, it was very nice to be taken back to that day. Uh, I'm going to go a slightly more recent one. I went to Anfield. I've said to my son Alexander, who you know, who goes with me to the games, there is nothing like going up north and nicking three points off northerners, right? And it, there really isn't. There just isn't. And I'm, if you're from the north, you will understand, even while enjoying this podcast. But we went up to uh, uh, Anfield and we nicked it 2-1. Not a particularly good game. Robin Van Persie scored with a really lovely volley into the bottom corner in the last minute and then ran over to the far corner where he celebrated right in front of me. And I was on match of the day later that night and I was very, 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 very excited. You can see you suddenly see I, I mean obviously I look my age but I also looked about 12 jumping up and down celebrating that goal because it's a last minute winner at Anfield did you have and a crazy face did you, I, we, we, I, I just I, my arms were in the air I think I probably did have the crazy face I get that face quite a lot to be honest with you but I was genuinely delighted and it was uh, it was a lovely day out um <laughs> now, later on, I should say, we'll talk about uh, the women's team with Art de Rocher. Uh, they had a, a, uh, had a draw with Spurs in a North London derby. I think a lot of people expected us to steamroller them. But we'll talk about that with Art. And also a reminder that you can get an athletic subscription for a third off full price by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to England for Emil Smith-Rowe. Well, just look at his face, that tells you everything. There's a smile, there's a smirk almost, how proud he is to come on. Now, before we talk about what's coming up this week, uh, let's just have a moment. Uh, Emil Smith-Rowe won uh, his first England cap. Um, I didn't watch the game. I'm, I find England qualifiers a bit dull in the main. You know, you see the group, you go, oh, yeah, Poland and other teams. We're going to qualify again. Um, but Adrian, just a word for ESR. He's had a year. He was uh, he was on the fringes of the first team and now he's in an England shirt and deservedly so in a time when there are a tremendous number of creative players uh, who Gareth Southgate can pick from. But for him to get an England cap within a year, it's it's stunning, isn't it? Yeah, where's well, the power of Arsenal, isn't it? If you if you can if you're in the Arsenal first team, it means you're a very very good player, straight up. And if you're one of the stars of that team, c- consistently contributing, then you're going to be on the radar of, of someone like Southgate. Um, unbelievable competition he's got for a place in that World Cup squad next year. But he's got a chance, hasn't he? And yeah, I was I was chuffed to bits for him. He, I, I felt that. I didn't feel he was as hard done by maybe as Ben White, not to get called up, purely on the basis that the centre-halves around the country have all been awful um, and White's been pretty good. But And, and Smith-Rowe was up against some, some amazing players, but but he got his chance and um, I think I thought he did really well. It was obviously only 15 minutes or so, 15, 20 minutes, looking neat and tidy. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure he'll get I'm sure he'll get more caps. Good on him. Um and, and he got a nice hug from uh, Aaron Ramsdale at the end of the game as well, Amy. I don't know if you saw it. It was uh, It's just to have a few Arsenal lads in there, it's nice to see these young players getting their, uh, their chances with the England team. It's probably helpful for Emil to come in and have ready-made mates and supporters around him. So people who will give yeah. him words of advice and uh, make him feel at home above and beyond. We are recording this on the 
morning of the San Marino game. Uh, so, of course, by the time you're listening to this, there may be more Emil England love to share. But I think overall, it's just um, it's a fascinating point for his development. And it's that thing where you think on the one hand, especially when you've got a young player that is so invaluable as he and Bukayo are really to Arsenal, you have that that mixed feeling of being very, very delighted for them and for what it means for their own status and confidence and self-expression and belief and all that stuff. And on the other hand, there's a slight fear of like, are they ever going to have a break ever? Because they're very, very young and they're being incredibly depended upon by their club. Yes. And to not even have, you know, breathers and do travelling. And having said that, of course, they're not travelling for European matches. So maybe the load is a little bit less than it might be. But um, it's pretty hard to imagine an Arsenal team being selected now without those two on the team sheet, if it, which I think in itself is fairly amazing. You know, it was pretty extraordinary for that to happen just for Bukayo. And then for it to happen again for a player of Emile's quality is is really exceptional and is a testament not just to Helen and the coaching and et cetera, et cetera, or for Arteta or for giving them chances or previous managers who brought them in, but it's a testament to these two boys, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, well, they, I mean, they are both exceptional and I think it is a blessing for Arsenal to have them and long may they stay fit and firing. Quite. But it does bring us on to something you mentioned before we came on air, uh, Amy. Uh, Ask blog outstanding blogger for the Arsenal, uh, wrote about what do we do with the fringe players? It was a picture of Flo Balogun. Um, Adrian, I want to ask you this. I mean, we don't have the uh, those sort of early rounds of the Europa League this year to blood quite a lot of the players. So, you know, people's chances are going to be less. Obviously, there is a path through, through to the first team with the two boys that Amy was just talking about. But in the situation that that uh, that we're in with no european football hopefully only this year how do you keep those players happy it's very difficult isn't it and how do you stop that their development from being stunted i think that is a, a sort of pertinent you know part of that question and and for someone like flo balligan the england under 21 manager uh, lee carsley went and said look the under 23s is too good for it it's not it's not doing him any good so it's it's a real step up when you then have to play a super competitive match for for the twenty ones or even for for the Arsenal first team. So it is difficult. I think I think you have to keep a core squad here, but for some of the younger players that that have improvement in them, I do think that we we might need to loan out one or two, and I would include Balogun in that for for the second half of the season. Let's see what he's about elsewhere and. And, and, and make sure that he's sort of primed and ready for, for potentially next season where he might be integrated into the first team more often. So it is awkward, I've got to say. And if you're a manager, you just want everyone available. But I think with, with someone like Flo and maybe one or two others, you've got to maybe look a little bit more long term and say, look, in the here and now, they're better off playing first team football somewhere else. Yeah, and very briefly, Amy, before we move on to the uh, the upcoming game, I mean, Ainsley Maitland-Niles has shown you stick around. He's back in the first team and he's definitely challenging now, isn't he? Yeah, I, mean, I, I was just having a look before that there's nine players uh, who, when you look at their minutes or their opportunities so far this season, given that we're now midway through November, who have played either zero, one or two Premier League matches. And so here's the list. So zero is Nketiah and Elneny. I'm not including sub-appearances, by the way. Uh, one appearance is Balogun and Kolasinac. And two appearances is Chambers, Holding, Mari, Martinelli and Suarez. Now, when you look at, when you consider that entire list, I think, you know, you can categorise the players in different ways. I think there are the ones that you think are, are, are there because they just happen to be there and, are, and you know, are probably not going to be called upon unless there's a, a, a you know an injury or suspension. Uh, I think we probably know who those players are, and there's probably at this point I would say two, which as Adrian was mentioning, are the ones where you think their development is as important as them being around, and that's Balogun and Martinelli. And the fact that um, the African Cup of Nations is coming up in January does give a clear opening with Aubameyang, uh, you know, potentially being away. 
but even still, you know, you have to ask yourself that question: Is it worth, you know, is it worth keeping both of them around for the and and potentially them not playing much football between February and the rest of the season? When as what they really both appear to need is good minutes. So it's going to be interesting. But unless there is another kind of unforeseen injury that really gives them a pathway. Yeah. Martinelli's, Martinelli is sort of frozen in time at the moment, isn't he? he, he is I, I just feel so sorry for him because he was so good, so bright, such an electric finisher, such great energy. And now all he's getting is five minutes here and there on the wing. Very hard, isn't it, uh, to make an impression in that time? It's near on impossible. Yes. So, yeah, it's... it's uh, yeah, I I don't want us to suddenly be short of numbers and 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 him not be here. But at the same time, I I feel that he he really needs to regain his confidence, and and, and it might be a loan spell elsewhere that that gives him that platform. Fans of other clubs may well hear this and think first world problems really when you've got a player like Gabriel Martinelli on the bench. But yeah, hopefully they'll they'll uh, they'll get some minutes either with us or uh, or on loan. Um. Liverpool v Arsenal at Anfield on Saturday. Uh, just briefly, Amy, one of the things you mentioned in our sort of little festival of Arsenal we've had in the last week, you went to uh, a concert. Mark Anthony Turnage, classical composer, uh, put that 1989 season to music and uh, you sat there and, and, and I can only use the word wallowed again, really, in the nostalgia of, uh, of that amazing evening. Um, I mean, it, I, I don't... Is it original music, by the way, that he uh, Absolutely. That he First of all, it's composed. not the season, it's the match. And it's a 25-minute right. uh, highlights package that he worked with an editor individually to pick out the moments that he wanted to, to pick out, some of which are obvious. But Thomas charging through the midfield. Thomas, it's up for grabs now. Thomas, right at the end. And there are some other little bits and pieces that are kind of individually selected. But... It, I think everybody in the auditorium had no idea what to expect. No. And there were a lot of people there, I might say, in the 2000-odd uh, uh, attendees at the Barbican who I don't think had ever been to a classical music concert in their life. And so sat through the first half of Shostakovich and Stravinsky and thought, aye, aye, this is different. But for a lot of people, <laughs> had, you know, never seen an 80-piece orchestra in the flesh or, no, or heard It's pretty them. amazing. And the, and the conductor was phenomenal he was um incredibly energized it was uh it was like watching i don't know who's the most sort of uh touchline hysterical uh, uh gesture sort of a i thought you were going to ask us for a conductor of. no 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 i mean even a manager i'm just trying to think of a very kind of elaborate gestures sort of anyway well, pep abby our, our producer is suggesting okay, pep well, and i get that but like with with humour and uh, sort of souped up by like a hundred, you know, hundred percent. So he was very entertaining, and um, the the way that the football and the music uh, combined and fused together was tremendous. I have to say, it was um, it, it was very clever in that you know the the kind of the timing of it all was just had to be perfection so you know there would be a specific noise that would accompany or crescendo uh, that would that would accompany a particular kick or 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 foul or facial expression and actually the the conductor is a, uh, the composer is a big arsenal supporter he used to live on Gillespie road and go I was going to ask you in that. the 80s and is a is a right. great sort of the earth character brought he gets an it. awful lot of humor into it so there was some very funny kind of like almost uh, cartoonish um, sounds when, say, Kenny Dalglish made a face or McMahon or whatever. There's um, nothing I like more than classical music jokes, I'll be honest with you. It was really tr- tremendous, <laughs> I have to say. Uh, it was a, it was a, a five-star um, evening and it got lots of great reviews justifiably from the arts critics and I think a lot of appreciation amongst the football crowd. So it was very original and I would highly recommend it. I think it would probably be a tough-ish listen to people unaccustomed to modern classical music just to listen to the music. But yes. if, if given the chance to see the music as an accompaniment to the uh, the images or indeed the images as an accompaniment to the music, then it's a re- it was really fantastic and I would highly recommend it. Adrian, fo- uh, football's changed, isn't it? <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, nobody in the dressing room, when you're in the dressing room, going, do you know what? This game would be excellent, set to classical music. I, I love it. I do love that. It's um, Yeah, I kind of want to see see if it comes out on, well, download or DVD or where well, we don't have DVDs I have anymore, mentioned it because it was on download yeah. for a couple yeah. of days over the weekend that it was out, but then I think they took it down. I think it's to do with... You know, TV rights and, yeah, and all that stuff. Was, but I've encouraged it, them to try and it what, release yeah. it again because it, it was really great. It, yeah, it sounds it. And, it. and it was a very, very special night where, where it had lots of lots of good moments, not least a lot of fouls The other thing Arsenal. that's funny, just briefly, <laughs> sorry, is, um, is that, you know, it wasn't a very classical music crowd. So therefore there was a lot of roaring and cheering and like you know you almost couldn't hear yes. some of the music when the goals went in love it which was which was made it very atmospheric and uh although although i think when the composer was just pulling up his bat on about to start the stravinsky and there was silence in the room and somebody went oh so no it was a bit like oh crikey i <laughs> know <laughs> oh, you know what i wish i'd been there just for that um i'll tell you what there is going to be an atmosphere saturday at 5 30 liverpool v arsenal i mean Two months ago, we'd have been going into this game, Adrian, with a lot of trepidation. You know, um, we we certainly had a, a terrible start. But since then, obviously, 1-6, drawn 2, we're looking like a solid team. We will give them a game Saturday, won't we? Well, I certainly hope so. Yeah, I think maybe we need to summon up a, a little bit of the spirit of, of 89. Um, for, for anyone that hasn't seen the game, it was all about teamwork. It was all about aggression. It was all about going in with a game plan to negate Liverpool's great strengths and to then be bold and brave when the chances came came around and that's what Arsenal need to do here they need to 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 come up with a plan I'm sure Mikel Arteta will have one need to be really aggressive um and 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 to stop them from from playing and then and then when when we get those turnovers the opportunities to strike we've got to strike hard and fast through your Sackers, your Smith Rose, Lacazettes and Aubameyang. So, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to the game for once. It's normally a game I dread, yeah. I must admit. Um it's always a it's a classic fixture. Um but I do feel that if we if we play if we start like we did at Leicester, then then that might set the tone for another really strong away performance. Adrian, Amy? do do you think the fact that Liverpool lost against West Ham sort of doesn't do us any favours in a way for that to have been their last match. I was wondering that. It is hard, yeah. They'll be fired up, but they wouldn't have had long to talk about it together, would they? Because they've sort of been split up since. So there would have been, wouldn't been much build-up because they've all been away. I don't know. It could affect them in two ways, couldn't it? That Some of the players didn't have very good games at West Ham, not least Alisson, who, who had a shocker. Yeah. And, and, and if, if Alisson... The goalkeeper, obviously, but I'd say the goalkeeper's second most important player in the team behind the, behind the striker. If, if he's feeling in any way down on confidence or hesitant, then that's, that gives us a big leg up. So so I'm really hopeful that, that Alisson has a hangover um, and, and that Liverpool aren't prepped. Personally, I feel that come, facing Liverpool straight off the back of an international break it, is preferable to, to facing them when they've had a full week to prepare I, I, I do I do think that because a lot of their players will have well they'll still be you know in, in various countries they won't rock up until a couple of days before the game no I mean and the other thing Amy when we were at the um, when we were all at that uh, Invincible dock uh, the other day Arsenal went on a long unbeaten run as we as we all know and then they didn't win for the next five uh, after they lost at uh, at uh, Old Trafford and you know, Liverpool had been on a, what, 27-game unbeaten run and obviously we're all dis- delighted that they're not going to uh, go through the season unbeaten. Maybe they're going to have uh, a couple of week hangover that we can uh, exploit. Think, <laughs> I'm just hopeful. I think that's here. a classic case of stony optimism going on. <laughs> <laughs> I, do you know what? It is, but I don't care. I, I don't care. I, I, I enjoy, I'm enjoying being optimistic at the moment. It's fun. Mm. Um, have I mentioned the young players and how good they are lately? Um, it, it, <laughs> this, I mean, I mean, it's sort of interesting that uh, Amy, this team, they get tested, so they went to Leicester. So everyone said, yeah, they've won a few games against you know Norwich and and uh, Burnley, we beat, and a few others. Villa at home were on a very bad run, but everyone said, well, Leicester's a step up. This is a team that'll be challenging for that fourth, fifth position. This is another step up again. Um, 
if they do come through this test with, let's say, a creditable draw, what are the um, the limits for this team this season? Well, I think to, I think if Arsenal can come away from Anfield with any kind of points, that would be huge. Uh, and again, it. it the game that I was talking about before in uh, in 88-89 when they went up in the League Cup and were amazing and won one one you, you could sorry one drew one one um, felt like a win you you could uh, you could sense that it did something in terms of uh, being a springboard for an extra boost of self confidence and I think sometimes players can look at themselves look at each other and think you know what we're we're better than we think we are, never mind what anyone else thinks. You know, there's really something happening here. I think that that oft-used word momentum, you know, which is a, a a hard thing to gain and an easy thing to lose. If you've got it and if it's building and there's a, you know, a growth feeling that you just have more power. You just feel like things that might knock you don't knock you. Uh, and I think it would give a huge boost to Arsenal's aspirations for a let's just say, respectable finish to in this this uh, season, which, you know, whether that's top six or whether that's, if everything goes unbelievably well, top four, you know, I think given the vibes at the moment around the club, given the measures they took to try to rebuild and the money that they they committed to, to that over the summer, there does need to be some reward for that. I think finishing outside the top six this year would be hard to stomach. No, we can't be having um, but it's not easy. It's not going to be a simple job finishing in the in the t- top six. So I think that anything that can give Arsenal that those extra reservoirs of self belief will stand them in really good stead. I, I always think about what constitutes success from this trip to Anfield, and in a way, not that anybody you know realistically is a fair chance that Liverpool are going to win but if Liverpool win very very narrowly perhaps a bit luckily and Arsenal give them a right old game i still think that would constitute uh, a good step but obviously it would be a great step to take something home on the you know take some points back with us i completely agree i think it's all about it's about showing that we're competitive that we we can go to Anfield and and give them a game i think i think that is the the key here the thing about this run is that yeah we are definitely heading in the right direction but with that Leicester game you know who was the man of the match it was the goalie and he he had to make some a series of brilliant saves and that's Leicester it's not Liverpool away so so I feel that this is this is a serious examination my, my one fear my one fear is in central midfield actually for the game. Um, if if Thomas Partey isn't fully fit, and I think there's a very strong possibility he won't be fully fit, then we we might have to go in with Laconga and Maitland-Niles. Now young and fearless they are, but that is a midfield that that could get overpowered. I think um, particularly Laconga, who I like, I really like him, but but we, we've seen him sort of get get steamrolled on a few occasions already this season. So what we need is Saka and Smith-Rowe to... We need that whole midfield to shift across those four to go to the left, to the right, stay together, not you know not let any holes between them and to really work harder than they've ever uh, than they've ever worked before with obviously Lacazette potentially dropping in to help them. And that would be the key for me. The fear is that Liverpool might might steamroll us in that, in that department and then get at our back four, which is which might be problematic. So um, yeah, we cannot let what we've done in the last few times we've gone to Anford is is it's play like we've never seen Liverpool play before. You know, we've gone and you know pressed them sillily or, or you know got gone bit too gung ho and left unbelievable holes for Salah and Mane to 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 just wreak havoc in. This time we have to we have to think about what they don't want, and uh, you know they, they they don't want us to 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 get tight to them and 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 be narrow and compact and 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 to make them go sideways and backwards. That's that's what Arsenal need to do here. Give them space to run into, and they'll kill us like they have done on numerous occasions before. So. Yeah, I'm hopeful, but also a little bit on edge. <laughs> but that's all right. That's all right. We're going to Anfield. It's a tough place to go. When we went there during lockdown and we played, I, I've never felt a, a team stifle us quite as much. There was just no time on the ball at all. I'm also, by the way, looking forward to seeing Aaron Ramsdale's relationship with the cop. 
as well. I, I'm I'm enjoying watching him more every week and the way he is, particularly with away fans, but certainly with ours. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I I think it's nice to go to this game feeling like we have a bit of a chance. And so. Um, Hey, fingers crossed, eh? Um, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Yes, this is Handbrake Off. Adrian Clark, Amy Lawrence, myself, Ian Stone, joined now by Art de Roche. Uh, good morning, Art. Morning, guys. Thanks for having me again. It's all right. You were watching the uh, women's team at the weekend, a one-all draw. Surprising, I think, one-all draw with uh, Spurs. We talked, you wrote a piece, actually, on the Athletic website about... Um, and we talked about this the other week about making the women's game more competitive and how so when they have to step up against a team like Barcelona, they're not they haven't just been steamrolling teams. Well, Spurs bought their game, didn't they, at the weekend? Yeah, I think when people watch the game, myself included, we were probably expecting a comfortable Arsenal win, uh, as has been the case throughout the season after the Chelsea game on the opening day. And I was actually really encouraged by Tottenham's approach to the game. I know that's probably, it's not the best place to say it here. Oh, um, do you know where you are, Art? <laughs> the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Yeah, go on. I read but, the piece. It was quite encouraging yeah. for Spurs, actually. But I just feel like, um, especially looking at looking at it from an Arsenal perspective, as you mentioned, Ian, you can't really make a proper step up when you're playing European champions if you're just steamrolling teams domestically. So that's why, even though it was a more uh, frustrating game for Arsenal than most would have expected, I thought it was actually an encouraging sign, not just for Tottenham, but for Arsenal as well, because if teams do decide to bring their game to them rather than just sitting back and dropping deep and trying to defend for 90 minutes, then they're actually going to have to raise their game as well. So that's why... um, I guess the the match piece uh, reflects um, not total disappointment that they they had to wait until 90 odd minutes to equalise. But yeah, I don't think it was, uh, (laughs) I don't think it was terrible that the game panned out how it did. Yeah, Adrian, I mean, uh, you know, surely as a former player, you want to have different tests. You know, you want to have different puzzles that you've got to try and try and work out how how, how to unlock a defence, which is sitting back a little bit more and playing, pushing up high and pressing quite hard on the Arsenal. Yeah, no, you do. I mean, you want to win first and foremost. That's the most important. But it can get a bit dull, can't it, if you come up against the same type of opponent every week. In this match, I thought that... Um, it was a good lesson for Arsenal with regards to their pressing. So they've been pressing more this season under Jonas Adevel and they've done it really well. And they did in this game at times, but but Spurs were brave enough to play through it on occasion. They got their forwards into really good positions in between the Arsenal defence and midfield. There's that hole between the lines. That the Spurs front two were brilliant in that particular domain, and and it was just it was like a reality check, and it was a warning really for for the tougher test to come against Chelsea again and Barcelona, etc. Well, not so much Man City this season, but but no. the tougher test to come. So so I think it would have helped them in the long term because Spurs did cause them problems, um, but this wasn't a bad Arsenal performance in my opinion. I, th- I thought there was lots to 
lots of good football. They hit the hit the woodwork twice, and oh, I Katie thought, McCabe's I, shot. Oh, was, I mean, no was, bat lift. Yeah, it was, she she's got a hammer left foot, hasn't she? Wow. Yes. Um, but yeah, for for me, Vivian Miedemar was, was was superb in the game. I, I thought she, it was fitting that she she was the the player to get that last gasp equaliser just so much quality it's ridiculous ah in the first in the first half arsenal put together a very nice move Miedemar switched it from her right foot to her left foot and then just walloped it so beautifully it's a good save actually the goalkeeper it stayed with her but um she's world class isn't she Miedemar and it was such a pleasure to watch her yeah, I think um, the difference this week was so at, at Meadow Park, where on the other side we're not that as close to the pitch, whereas at the Hive we were pretty much pit side, so you could hear pretty much everything that was going on. And uh, for that that shot in particular, she's there screaming for the ball back. She she actually played the ball out and um, and then received it back yes, off Maritz. Then dropped back off, yeah. didn't she? And she was just there screaming for the ball back. Um, and you could tell that she was quite angry, I guess, um, with the the power that was behind that shot, but then also the header in 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 added time. Uh, so yeah, it was it was good to see her in that zone, I guess. Um, uh, and I think aside from her, like McCabe and uh, Mead as well, were were pretty much unreal too. Yeah, we got some players. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And one more thing. Um, because I was sat in a hotel room in Nottingham uh, doing gigs uh, up there at the weekend, and uh, and I, and I saw online uh, around quarter past twenty past one. Oh, you know the, the women's game is happening, and I start searching online where can I watch it? And you, oh no, hang on a minute, it's on BBC One. Um, this is a very positive thing. I know that we moan about the international break, and it does feel a bit endless sometimes. But to see uh, Arsenal v Spurs on BBC One at 1.30 in the afternoon, well, that fills up an afternoon very nicely, didn't it, Adrian? It did. No, it did, yeah. No, it was, I actually watched it after the event. But but yeah, it was good to be able to record it and then, and then watch it. No, it's great. It's great. Great coverage now, obviously, on BBC. They're on Sky, aren't they, as well? It's um, you, can, you get access to the Champions League on another channel. So, yeah, it's... It's all good, and and the standard of football is getting better and better. And and this is an Arsenal team to be proud of. I think in, in Miedemar, McCabe, and and Mead, and and, and a number of other players there, they're, they're excellent. Got some real stars of the game, I think. And uh, yeah, and I like I like the cut of Adavel's jib. I, th- I think that he's a good coach. He's, he's getting something a little bit extra out of this this group of players. What I think they don't produce. As much of is the is the triangle, either the neat and tidy triangles, the free flowing football. They're a bit more efficient than now than they were. So maybe not always as brilliant to watch or as fluid to watch, but they're they're a better team. Um, they certainly defend better as a team, even though in this game they there were one or two issues with that. So um, yeah, almost an upwards. I, I think I think Arsenal are, uh, are heading in a great direction. Yes, um, uh, men's and women's. It's excellent. By the way, if you're interested in hearing more about the setup of Arsenal Women's Side, then The Athletic have a new podcast out called In the Boardroom. The first episode sees uh, Jackie Oatley uh, speak to Claire Wheatley, who is head of women's football at the Arsenal. Uh, Jackie's conversation with Claire covered many aspects from what life was like as a player in the 90s to the transformation and professionalism of the women's game. Sorry, the professionalisation. That's a long word, of the women's game since then and how she's trying to steer Arsenal through those changes. Here's a clip to give you a little taste. Can you just paint a picture for people who don't know what it was like at Arsenal, who were clearly to become one of the leading lights, but generally speaking, what it was like for women playing football back then and what sort of other jobs did players have and how often did you train and what were the facilities like both at Arsenal and elsewhere? Yeah, and bearing in mind, of course, Arsenal were one of the leading teams, yet our training facility was relatively fantastic. Relatively, I use that word, because we had the JVC Centre, which many people will know about if they're Arsenal fans or they've trained at Arsenal when we were at Highbury. And that was pretty much a carpet on top of a concrete base. And we trained there twice a week, eight till ten. But an hour of that was fitness and we trained around the pitch at Highbury or in the East Upper Stand. There was like a red rubber not crumb, but it was fixed. It was fine for running on because it didn't add to injuries or anything, but it certainly wasn't It wasn't conducive to a professional game. So, yes, we would do training around on that facility so that you, you're getting the high-speed runs, but also up 
in the East Upper, so using the stairs to train on. Because I think if you'd have trained on the concrete facility in the JVC Centre at the time, and also there were other bookings that we had to contend with, remember, it was so amateur back then. What we tried to have was a professional outlook. I think that's probably the best way to summarise it. And again, for us to be training, albeit not allowed to touch the pitch, but around the pitch and in the stadium, kind of had a little bit of kudos about it in a strange way because other clubs hadn't yet affiliated strong teams with their men's teams either. So if you enjoyed that, would like to hear more, then do subscribe to In The Boardroom, uh, the podcast from The Athletic. Let's have a song to end. Uh, Amy, I'm going to come to you first because I know you like this bit. <laughs> well, I just thought I need to kill your optimism a little bit. I'm oh, really? For, uh, uh, for the game ahead, a bit of, you know, like it might not be everything you wish for. So I'm going I'll for... I'll buzzkill Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> Tricky and hell is round the corner. It's such a good song. It is a good song. <laughs> oh, oh let's hope it's goodness. not. <laughs> no, no, no. Art, oh, what about you? Let's have a song from you. <laughs> You're right. You didn't point out you weren't specific. What about you, Art? Uh, there's no logic behind my pick other than it's been stuck in my head all week. And it's um, the tour version of Flashing Lights by Kanye West. There's a, a nice little bit at the start that they added in, which I just I can't. I can't not think about, so I have to pick that. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, some, I was just thinking somebody should have chosen some uh, classical music. Uh, as, but uh, Adrian, I'm looking at you, but I'm thinking no. No, no, no cl- <laughs> not much classical knowledge this end, I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, I, I just loved the evening at the, at the, at the cinema for, for the Wenger film. It was, it was awesome, just sort of taking us back to to that invincible season and, and before that, the, the early 90s. But yeah, so I, I just looked up what was number one. And, and so basically, Eamon was number one with I Don't Want You Back. It's not a great song, to be honest. But it was number one the weekend when we beat Spurs to win the title in 2004. And it stayed number one for several weeks until after we were crowned invincible. So it's a song that sort of, you know, side by side with, with Arsenal greatness and, and that particular era. So Eamon, I Don't Want You Back. All right. Uh, I'm going to have uh, um, Sonny, because I was thinking about the international break, and it does seem a bit endless sometimes. Um, and so I've had Waiting by Green Day. Uh, I've been waiting a lifetime for this moment to come. It's not a lifetime. It's slightly less than two weeks. But uh, even still, <laughs> even still, it maybe get, you get a sense of, uh, of the wait for this uh, massive game at Anfield at the weekend. Uh, that's it for Handbreak Off. Thanks to Amy and Art and Adrian and Abby. All the A's. By the way, I've just realised. Um, and thanks, like I say, thanks to Abby, our producer. And thanks to you, thanks to you for listening. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. See you soon.